Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Be honest with me. I know you're in your homes, watching on Facebook or YouTube, but right where you're sitting at, laying at, standing at, whatever you're doing, could you just right now raise your hand if you've ever tried to walk on water, maybe in a pool, a lake, maybe the ocean. If any of you have ever been to youth camp, I know you've tried it multiple times. I know I have. I've tried to walk on water before, and every time I tried, yes, I've tried it more than once, I always fail and I end up sinking in. But there are two people that accomplished walking on water. And the title of my message today is Water Walkers. And the text that we're going to use and we're going to be in for most of today's message is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 14. And we're going to start with verse number 22, and we're going to read 11 verses. And it should be on the screen for you to read along. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In the preceding verses leading up to this story, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. After this amazing miracle, Jesus needed some time alone with his Father. I think it's interesting that uh, right after this incredible miracle, Jesus, instead of spending time with the crowd or with his disciples, he dismisses them so that he can be alone. In fact, John in his gospel tells us why Jesus was so eager to dismiss the crowd and the disciples. The people wanted to make Jesus king right then and there. But Jesus was not interested in political power. His path would lead him in a different direction. And Jesus was all about doing the will of the Father, regardless of where that ended up. The word made, Matthew uses to explain that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and set out on the other side, literally means to force or to compel. So he forced and compelled his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. But, but the te text tells us that because Jesus made them get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. That's why they were in the predicament that they were in, that the way that there was a storm and the waves were crashing and, and their lives were on the line. It says because Jesus made them 
do it. Would Jesus really force his disciples into a difficult moment? Would Jesus force you or I into a difficult moment in our lives? I think the answer is yes. And that leads me to my first point. Jesus leads us into dark nights of the soul sometimes. Jesus leads us to the dark nights of the soul sometimes. John of the Cross, who was a priest in the 1500s, and describes the dark night of the soul as moments in our lives where we came face to face with the cross. These are times of refining and exposing and purifying. I would consider the global pandemic we currently find ourselves in a collective dark night of the soul where that we find ourselves surrounded by death and sickness and loneliness and confusion and frustration. These are times when we don't understand what God is doing or how he's working in the situation. It just seems like God has just forgotten about us and let us just kind of suffer and go through whatever's happening in the world. And I, I think right now we're in a collective dark night of the soul. The entire world is in this dark night right now. Listen to what John of the Cross says in describing the purpose of the dark night of the soul. God perceives the imperfections within us and because of his love for us, urges us to grow up. His love is not content to leave us in our weakness. And for this reason, he takes us into a dark night. He weans us from all of the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. No soul will grow deep in the spiritual life unless God works passively in that soul by means of the dark night. John of the Cross understood that we cannot have the, a, the depth of spiritual transformation in Jesus that we need to have without going through these dark moments in our lives. Sometimes Jesus sends us into difficult circumstances as he did the disciples that evening. Jesus has sent us into the battering waves of COVID-19 in this time. He may not have caused the virus, but he is allowing us to experience the full measure of the ramifications of sickness, economic upheaval, quarantine, and all the other things we've been going through. Verse 24 tells us that the boat was buffeted by the, word, by the waves. That word buffeted means battered, tossed, beaten, tormented, tortured. Any of you feeling battered or tossed around by life right now? Any of you feeling mentally tormented right now as we're entering day 40-whatever of quarantine and isolation? Any of you feeling those things right now? Think about this. The will of God sent the disciples into the storm. Did you hear that? The will of God sent the disciples into the storm. Jesus, not the devil, not the flesh, is the one that sent the disciples into the boat to cross over where they encountered a storm. It was Jesus that sent them into the boat. That statement right there is so anti-American gospel, isn't it? Many American Christians believe that the will of God only leads us to prosperity, to health, and for our dreams to come through. 
that that's what that's what people boil the gospel down to here in America. Many people, not everybody, but many people. As the disciples were out in the water all night long fighting for their lives, to make matters worse, they see this ghostly figure walking on the water towards them. Imagine that. You're in a boat with your friends. There's a storm. You feel like at any moment the boat's going to tip. And then all of a sudden, from the distance, you see this ghostly figure uh, walking towards you. I I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be comforting to me. They did what any of us would do in that situation. They freaked out. They were terrified. They cried, ghost! As these 12 grown men are completely freaking out, Jesus says, calm down, it's me. And Peter is like, I I don't know about all this. He's like that skeptical New Yorker that needs a little proof. He needs a little evidence. And and he's like, if it's really you, then let me step out of this boat and walk to you the way you are walking on the water. Which to me is a really odd statement. You know, if I was in a boat and I was afraid to be thrown over and then I saw this ghostly figure and I wasn't sure if it was Jesus or not, I don't think I would venture out of the boat, but Peter really stepped out there and and said, Jesus, if it's you, let me walk on the water just like you're walking on the water. And Jesus says, come on, come on. Let's look at verse 29 again. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I think this right here is a perfect picture of what many of us are going through right now. Peter, one moment, is full of faith in Jesus and the only disciple to step out of the boat walking on water. And the very next moment, he's sinking. The very next moment, he's drowning. Most of the time, preachers preach this as a one-time event. But right now, this could be an hour-by-hour event in our lives. One second, we're full of faith and hope, and then we start to look at what the media is saying, or we hear about one of our friends or family members who were lost to the virus, and we start to sink. We're encouraged on Thursday nights when we come together on Zoom and pray, and we get to joke around a little bit and see people's faces, and then we wake up alone again on Friday morning, and we start to sink back into anxiety. Some of us feel uh, full of hope one moment, and then we just feel just this dread the next moment. We're just sinking into hopelessness. One moment we're ready to help others, and the next moment we're feeling helpless ourselves. This walking on water one moment and sinking the next is a constant battle we are facing right now. This is the great tension many of us are currently living in. Peter steps out of the boat and walks on water, which is incredible. Have any of you ever walked on water before? Or have any of you ever seen anybody walk on water before? And the Chris Angel uh, magic trick when he walked on water doesn't count. I'm sure that everybody that's watching can say, I've never walked on water myself and I've never seen anybody walk on water. This was incredible. What Peter was able to do was absolutely miraculous. He stands out of the crowd one moment, and the very next moment, he's sinking. The text says, when Peter saw the wind, he became afraid. Have any of y'all ever seen wind? I mean, we can 
feel the effects of wind. We can see the effects of wind, but we can't actually see wind. An invisible enemy caused fear inside of Peter's heart, which caused him to take his eyes off Jesus, which resulted in Peter sinking in the water. Have you heard anyone else recently use the term invisible enemy? Are you allowing COVID-19, an invisible enemy, to instill fear in your heart, which takes your eyes off Jesus and causes you to sink into a deep sea of anxiety and depression and fear and frustration? The very moment Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and placed them on something else, something he couldn't actually see, he started drowning. My first point was that Jesus leads us into dark nights of the soul sometimes. And my second point is this. Take your eyes off of the invisible enemy and fix them on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me remind us again, the moment Peter focused his attention on something else, Besides Jesus, he started sinking. The moment Peter's attention went from the face of Jesus to the invisible enemy wreaking havoc around him, he started drowning. He allowed doubt to creep in. That is exactly what will happen to you and I when we take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on someone else or something else. How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus during this difficult time in our lives, where there's so many distractions, where there's so many opportunities to doubt the goodness of God and doubt the kindness of God and doubt the, the, the mercy of God. How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus when we have so many things that are, are trying to grab our attention and our mind and our imagination right now? Well, we must look for God in our difficulties. We must look for for God in our difficulties. It's not enough just to look to God in difficulties. We must look for God in difficulties. Let me remind you again, Jesus is the one that sent the disciples in the boat. For a lot of Christians, the last one they look for during times of suffering is God. Yeah, we look to him to take away the suffering, but we don't look for God. In the suffering. We can't imagine finding God in the midst of troubled times. We want to overcome our difficulties. We want to go around our difficulties. We want breakthrough for our difficulties. But often we don't look for God during our difficult times of suffering. In fact, our faith often wavers during difficulties. It did for Peter. What if it's God's will for us to go through this prolonged season of isolation that we find ourselves in. And, and we're praying against the very thing God is sending us into. 
What if that's the case? I'm not saying that's the case, but what if that's the case? We need to pray for the sick to be healed and for this to be over. But we also need to be looking for God in the middle of this terrible situation. I, I believe that so many Christians miss out on what God is trying to do in their lives through seasons of suffering, through dark nights of the soul, through dry seasons in their lives, simply because we never look for God. We're just looking to God to take away the pain and the suffering and the anguish and all those. But we're not looking for what God is doing in our hearts. So where is God at in the midst of this crazy, difficult, stressful time in all of our lives? He's right here. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Wherever you're at, whether you live in New York City or you're watching from somewhere else, where is God at during this time? He is right where you are. We just need to look for Him. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you'll look for Him, you'll find Him. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. You see, God has an open door policy. Anytime you knock, he'll open the door for you and let you in, but he at least requires you to knock on the door. Are you knocking on his door right now with whatever you're going through, with whatever you're dealing with, regardless of how dark uh, of a season or a time you're facing right now? Are you knocking on the door and waiting for God to answer? Because if you knock, he'll answer. For me personally, I have been able to slow down just enough for God to be able to put his finger on a few uh, of my heart issues that need to be confronted and dealt with. And because I was so busy before this season, I was doing stuff for God, I could get away with it. But during this season, I've slowed down just enough for God to say, I need you to deal with that son. And I need you to deal with this son. And I need you to, I need you to take care of that. And, you're, and the people you're leading and your family and your wife, they're going to be better off for it. You know, I've had the opportunity to start practicing spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude and reflection, uh, things that I have neglected for my entire Christian life. I, I, I've been really good at working for God, but not looking for Him. I've started journaling daily. I, I, that's been a practice that I've started to do during this season. I have been looking for God in the midst of this crisis, and I've been finding Him. You know, I, I, I mean, I know I have a long way to go. This is a lifelong journey, but I've been finding God in the midst of my pain. I've been finding God in the midst of this crisis, and I've been finding God in the midst of my own personal struggle. As we navigate through these shaky wavy, crashing waters of life that we're currently in the middle of, we need to look for God in the middle of our pain. That's the only way you and I are not going to waste this time of isolation and quarantine. If we look for God in the middle of what we're going through, not just looking for God to take away what we're feeling, but to literally look for where God is working in our lives in the midst of of the pain and anguish and struggle that we are navigating through. 
We need to ask God what he's trying to teach us through the pain that we're currently feeling. God may not have caused the pain, but he is not going to waste the pain that we're going through right now. In fact, he's going to use this pain to mold us, to shape us, and form us to look more like Jesus if we'll allow him to. Pain, I've discovered, is probably the most effective tool for spiritual formation. More than prayer, more than Bible reading, more than worship, pain is the most effective tool for spiritual formation. Fire is used to refine gold and remove all of the impurities so that we have this pure and beautiful piece of jewelry after the refining process has happened, after the fire has been taken to this to this uh, rock, it, it becomes this beautiful after it's been uh, uh, after it's been refined, it's been molded and shaped into this beautiful piece of jewelry that is incredibly valuable. God uses pain to refine us and to remove the impurities from our hearts as well. Is the source of your pain loneliness? Where is God in the middle of that? Could it be that God wants to have a deeper, more intentional companionship with you right now? Maybe because of your busy schedule, you've neglected spending quality time with Him. And this is the opportunity for that to finally happen. Start before this isolation period and the quarantine is over because it's not going to last forever. You need to start Right now, even if you've continued to neglect him the last five weeks of this quarantine, start now. Is the source of your pain financial loss? Where is God in that pain? Could it be that he wants you to trust him completely as your provider? Maybe you trust him in other areas of your life, but when it comes to the financial piece, you haven't trusted him. And maybe now is the time for you to trust him completely as Jehovah Jireh, your provider? Could it be that maybe he wants you to pivot and creatively find other sources of income right now? Uh, you know, since everyone is quarantined at home, Priscilla had the idea to do uh, porch family portraits. And so uh, she, you know, uh, you know, she's going to have the opportunity to maybe, uh, you know, still use social distancing, but to take portraits uh, at people's homes on their front porches, you know, and, and so this is going to provide uh, a little bit of income uh, and, and it just takes a little bit of pivoting, a little bit of innovation, a little bit of creativity and, and to see how, how maybe God is shifting us a little bit. And sometimes it takes pain in order for us to innovate. Is the source of your pain the loss of a friend or family member due to the virus? As heartbreaking as that is, where is God? in that pain. You know, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you're heartbroken right now, I want you to know that your heavenly father is close to you. He's not, uh, he's not indifferent to what you're going through right now. He's not distant. The, the Bible says that, it, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And so if you're brokenhearted right now because of something happening in your life or something that's happened in your life, I want you to know that the Lord is not far from you. He is close to you. He is here to comfort you. Is the source of your pain personal sickness? Where is the Lord in this? 
Could it be that as difficult as this may be, God is showing us our mortality and that life is short and we're not promised tomorrow. Maybe through this, God wants you to see him as your ever-present help in times of trouble. When it comes to the pain we're dealing with right now, and it's real, and it's valid, I'm not taking anything away from what you're feeling and what you're experiencing or going through right now. But when it comes to the pain that we're dealing with, I want us to have the same perspective Joseph did when he reunited with his brothers all those years ago. After they betrayed him, after they uh, sold him into slavery, after they went back to their father and lied to their father and said, Joseph must have been killed by a wild animal. After all of that and after all of those years, they reunite in Egypt. He tells them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Friends, in your life, whatever it is that the devil meant for evil, God can use it for good. God can use whatever you're going through right now to help someone else. But we need to look for God in our pain. God uses the bad things in life for our good. God uses the pain to produce perseverance. God uses the pain to produce passion. God uses the pain to produce power in our lives. Many of the most powerful moments I've had and interactions I've had with people are when I communicate what God is doing through my pain, through a painful moment in my life, when I share a testimony, or when I share something God did in my heart through a painful time in my life. Man, I've had some of the best interactions with people and best times of ministry when I share what God is doing through my pain. Don't waste the pain by constant complaint, friends. Don't waste the pain by allowing it to paralyze you. Look for God in the midst of your pain. Don't, don't say to yourself, I'll find God after all of this is over. I'll, I'll, I'll rejuvenate my faith and my relationship with Him once He takes away all of this suffering. Don't have that mindset. Have the mindset of Joseph. The devil might have meant it for bad. My aunt may have meant it for bad. My spouse may have meant it for bad. My boss may have meant it for bad. My teacher may have meant it for bad. But God meant it for good. Amen. Let me pray for you. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.